in every great civilization. There is one defining moment. When planets align. And patience is vindicated. Guinness, Tony Diaz, Sean Fahey, Andy Malloy, and Eric Shepard reunite in an open Apple production. Welcome to a very special episode of Open Apple. It is the end of the calendar year 2011. As we record, it is Boxing Day, and we thought this would be an appropriate time to get the band back together and take a look back at everything that's happened with the Apple II and its community in the past year. Mike and I, prior to this recording, engaged in a bout of the Ultimate Martial Art Ambo Jitsu to determine who would be the moderator for this episode, and I won, but only because I was cheating. So I'll be running the show. We're doing this... In the tradition of Ryan Suenaga, who used to do an annual roundtable on A2 Unplugged, so I will be taking his place as moderator, and Mike will be taking his place as panelist. And also joining us today is famed and storied Apple II hardware developer and retailer, Tony Diaz from California. Hi, Tony. Hello. How are you today? All right. I only woke up about half an hour ago. I was up too late running around airports, so. (laughs) Sorry we're doing this so early your time. Is what it is. Got to work it out. And famous Apple II software developer, Eric Shepard. Hi, Shep. Hey, how you doing? Fine, how are you? I am recovering from a long Christmas. Spent it with the in-laws, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, my in-laws are awesome, but, you know, it was still a long day. Yes, any quantity of family, regardless of the quality, can be exhausting. Yep. And all the way from Paola, Kansas, we have Sean Fahey. Hi, Sean. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Uh, pretty awesome. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the show. Well, not that you've been on this show yet, but it's good to be talking to you on a show again. Yeah. And from not too far from me, Syracuse, New York, Andy Malloy. Hi, Andy. Hi there, Ken. How are you? Good, good. I'm. Uh, we did not give out as much eggnog to our guests as I thought, so I have a whole half a gallon to drink over the next week. Sweet. So I'm going to be suffering. <laughs> oh, I'll send you some recipes. Oh, good. You haven't lived until you've tried eggnog cheesecake. Oh, and I'm not a cheesecake fan. (laughs) You will be. (laughs) You can always send it to our fans on the show. And, of course, we have Mike McGinnis. Hi, Mike. Oh, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, you do this show every now and then, remember? Uh, Yeah, sometimes I remember. (laughs) And most of the time you leave it to me. That's right. So the way this is going to work is we have a series of broad and specific topics that I'll be introducing. Uh, Since we have no visual cues by which to determine who wants to speak next. I'll be calling on you in by name in no particular order. Let's start with hardware. This has been a fantastic year for hardware. We have had 
the realization of Vince Briel's A2 MP3 card, first demonstrated at Kansas Fest 2009. We had Mike Willegal's brain board, the Apple One on a card. And we finally had CFFA 3000 by Rich Dreyer, which the last time we were all on A2 Unplugged together, I was very much looking forward to and finally came out. So these projects have been anticipated for a very long time. They've all finally hit the market. I'm curious to know what you all think about them, what your favorites are, and anything else. Let's start with Sean. Oh, hands down, my favorite is the Compact Flash, the CFFA 3000. It's uh, brought that platform to a whole new level. It's the probably the easiest to use Compact Flash card out there. And uh, I really like its Disk 2 uh, emulation. I mean, you really don't even have to have drives on your computer anymore. You can do everything basically through an Internet-connected GS. Did you get yours at K-Fest? Yeah, I got two of them. Wow. Now, given that the price on the CFFA 3000 is higher than the previous iterations of the model, do you feel that you've gotten your money's worth? Oh, definitely. It's it's a wonderful card. I mean, everybody should have one. And did you have the previous iterations? Several. Wow. So you are a uh, quite the loyalist. Yeah, he's uh, his products are solid, uh, well-built, well-designed. They work well. And whenever there's a glitch, he's always quick to uh, fix it. That follow-up support is very important. What do you think, Tony? Well, it does set a high standard, and I mean, it does raise the bar quite uh, quite fondly. Um, does pack a lot of features into a into a into a uh, product. The cool thing is setting it up for like a two plus. You don't even like I said, don't have to mess with the discs. You can boot all the images you want. Otherwise, I haven't really I didn't get a chance to get one at K-Fest, and they're all gone. So I didn't. I was so busy with everything else, I didn't get much chance to look at it. Although you'd think I'd have been all over it, but I think the whole week in Kansas City goes by so fast, I don't even realize what's going on. Because you sell a similar product through Sixteen Sector, don't you? That's correct. I, mine doesn't do any of the uh, image handling and whatnot. I'm strictly straight out ProDOS and DOS 2.3 volumes, legacy, if you might call it. Now, if I understand correctly, the CFFA 3000 does not have an IDE port. Is that correct? That's correct. It's just got a CF adapter, and mm. I believe it's got USB on it, does it not? Yes, it has USB. Yeah. So if people still want to connect an IDE volume to their Apple II, your product is still the way to go. That's correct. You know, the Focus Card actually does both, because I can slide an adapter on there and give you 3.5-inch Connective, uh, connectivity, so you could replace a Vulcan controller with it, or you could put a CF card on there, and if you want to get creative, you could put both on there. Well, let's switch over to Mike. I just read your CFFA 3000 review in JuiceGS. It sounds like you're quite the fan as well. I am, yeah. I only have one, and I really regret not picking up a second one at Kansas Fest. I, I like the um, the ability, because it replaces the, not only does it replace the floppy drives, but, I mean, you can create disk images uh, from your discs right with the car. There's there's no more messing around with the cables and ADT Pro or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with ADT Pro. No, of course not. And and I, I think as as Rob Kenyon pointed out in our last podcast, it's ADT Pro is still very useful, especially if you have a computer and and no no boot disc or anything. You can you can create it that way. So it definitely still has um, a purpose. Yeah, I'll be using ADT Pro until I can get my hands on a CFFA. I didn't buy one at K-Fest, and now they're sold out until spring or summer of 2012. That's the one downside of this product. It's too darn popular. Yeah, I'm on the waiting list already for the for the next run. One just wasn't enough, huh? Uh, of course not. One is never enough. Well, especially with you. You have Apple IIs and Apple Threes that you want to put those cards in, right? 
I do. Yeah. All right. Now, Sheppy, you were quite the fan of the A2 MP3 card prior to its release. Has its uh, actual final specs changed your opinion at all? Yes and no. It's obviously the release of the CFFA 3000 kind of impacted things because it does USB also. And that was really my primary interest in the uh, A2 MP3 personally was the fact that it has a USB port on it. And that opens up some options for being able to, uh, you know, write a driver or something to talk to that and uh, mount USB flash drives on the GS, which is is. Uh, still my primary interest in the A2 MP3, and, and I'm gradually, ever so slowly, working on code to try to do something along those lines. As far as the CFFA 3000 goes, I bought one, of course, at, at Kansas Fest. I jumped all over. I think I was the first person to get one. I, I think I had a check written before he finished his presentation. Um, and then I hassled him for like two days until he gave me one. It was the first <laughs> one he, he finished assembling. <laughs> um and it's a, uh, an incredibly solid uh, gadget. I haven't even finished exploring all the capabilities of it. It's it's really really phenomenal. Uh, it's in my GS and my my first generation CFFA has migrated over to my uh, my 2E, and both of them are sitting side by side behind me on my my second desk, in fact, right now. But it's it's really it's really quite phenomenal. Uh, the A2 MP3 card is more of a nifty gadget than something that's a, a must-have like the, the CFFA is. I think anybody who doesn't buy a CFFA uh, 3000 is is uh, making a mistake, frankly. Yeah, I made my mistake. <laughs> so now that the CFFA is out, what is your motivation to continue software development for the A2 MP3 card? Well, you know, the the thing is the CFFA is designed specifically to mount disk images, that's not my interest. I want to actually mount a USB thumb drive natively, you know, mount that right up on your GS and, and work with the files on it. You know, I don't want to have to go through that intermediary step of using disk images. I want to be able to just, you know, take a thumb drive, stick it in my Mac, copy files to it, yank it out of the Mac, plug it into my GS, mount it up on my GS, get the files off of it. That's what I want to be able to do. And then go again in the other direction as well, ideally. That's not something that the CFFA 3000 is designed to do. I don't know what would be involved in making it capable of doing that, but there's actually code and whatnot available and specs available to write the code to do that with the A2 MP3, so that's what I'm trying to do there. But even if you had that, we're faced with an issue that you and I discussed on A2 Unplugged where there's no longer a common read-write file system between the Apple II and the Mac ever since Snow Leopard. Right, but see, the, the, the neat thing about the, the way the driver or the chip works on the A2 MP3 is you're not actually directly having to manipulate the file system. What you're doing instead is you're sending commands almost like working over a network because it, it's basically a serial interface and you send commands uh, and data back and forth. So instead of, for example, trying to mount the FAT file system on the uh, on the card, on the uh, flash drive, you're actually basically opening it up and reading it and accessing it using commands almost as if it were a networked gadget, which isn't a, a perfect analogy, but it's roughly the same. So basically the GS doesn't know that it's a fat file system. You're, you're interfacing with it as if it's some remote device. And that lets you basically, even though the GS doesn't know how to write to fat, uh, because it doesn't know what file system it is, I can I can treat it as if it's some unique thing. So basically, I'm trying to hack together my own uh, FST, basically, in the end, 
that would let you mount it up and access it as if it's some other you know other format and be able to read and write to it but it's an ongoing process and we'll we'll kind of see how it goes it'll probably initially be like a finder extension or something like that that lets you read and write to it um and uh, get files on and off of it and then we'll see if i can get a an fst or something together to do it but it's going to be a, a, a an interesting project and and kind of an ongoing series of of uh things i'll be trying with it yeah it'll be quite impressive when you pull it off yeah and finally, Andy, what's your pick for hardware this year? Well, I'd have to jump on the other guys and say the um, CFFA 3000. Um, I brought my 2GS into work and set it up with the card, and I've got a USB extension cable going right out of the back of the 2GS mm -hmm. so I can plug in the USB memory sticks. Um, the neat thing about the card is it's hot swappable with these memory devices. So you can you don't even have to reboot your, your computer. You just unplug and unplug. The other neat thing is to do upgrades to the BIOS that Rich Drayer releases, it's simply you take the CF card over to your PC or Mac, copy on the bin files, put them back into the Mac or to the Apple II and, and boot up with a certain way and it automatically upgrades the card. And it was so painless and easy that all the beta releases that came out were really easy to keep doing the updates. Did anybody here purchase a brain board? Yes. Yes. And, uh, Sean, what did you think of it? Well, I think it's awesome. You know, I love the Apple II, but I like to dabble with the Apple I stuff as well. And uh, this was an easy, brainless, brain-dead, <laughs> brain-board way of turning your Apple II into a Apple I. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of fun to play with the old software. I mean, you, you get to go back in time and uh, kind of feel out where Waz started out and where he was going. And Antoine has released a bunch of Apple One software cassettes, for, right? Yeah, that and some Apple Two stuff, but it's uh, it's a, it's been a lot of fun to explore. Yeah, sounds like there's a lot of neat ways to go even farther back in time nowadays. On the subject of hardware, there's been the sensation in the community in the past uh, six months to a year that prices for uh, used and refurbished hardware, especially on eBay, has skyrocketed. And whether that is that the retro computing scene has, is coming into vogue or the passing of Steve Jobs has brought this stuff back into the spotlight, it could be a number of factors. But I'm curious to know, do you feel that it's true that hardware is getting obscene in the, number, in the prices it's fetching? And if so, why is that? And is there anything we can do about it? Mike? If eBay is the standard, and and unfortunately it, it seems to be that way lately just because that's the place to get a lot of stuff uh, Apple II related, then yeah, I, I think the prices are kind of crazy. If you're willing to look a little bit in, in other places, maybe uh, you wouldn't pay so much for some of the stuff. But I, I'm sure that at least for a little while um, this is related to the death of Steve Jobs. People want to get a hold of anything related to him. I, I saw an Apple III go on eBay uh, a week or two ago for uh, almost $1,000, and it, there was nothing really all that special about it. So, And then, of course, we've seen the $6,000 Apple II uh, Rev Zero and that sort of thing as well. So, Makes me wonder why the Apple II, because you would think that people interested in Steve Jobs would be buying like Macintoshes and iPods. Well, maybe, but I, he definitely had something to do with that machine as well, and it's kind of the... I think people view that as the machine that sort of kicked off Apple Computer mm -hmm. uh, as a company. Right. What do you think, Andy? Well, I've seen the prices, too, and it has been crazy. Um, it doesn't seem to be limited just to the Apple II. 
I mean, I've been looking at a lot of these old S100 bus systems, and they're just crazy, things like um, the Sol 20 and the M-Size. Um, so I've mainly been just kind of focusing on keeping an eye out locally, keep a watch on Craigslist, and I've still been able to pick up good stuff that way cheap. Um, just just this past year, I got a big Apple II haul, which included the computer was in the box, came with zip chip, lots of software, other things. You know, and that was, you know, around $100. You just can't compete against everybody in the world uh, who's using eBay with their um, the deep pocketbooks out there. So what alternatives do you suggest to eBay? Um, that seems to be the main market. I, You know, other auction-type places, there's, I think, um, Salam was trying to do a kind of a, a forum where you could sell things on one of the retro sites, but it just doesn't have the, the reach and you don't see as many items. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see, other than keeping your eye open for one-offs on alternative places like Craigslist, it just seems like eBay is the place to me. What about you, Shepi? Are you very active on eBay? Yeah, uh, but for me, mostly as a seller, actually. So I think these prices are awesome. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, It's actually really, really interesting the way that the, the prices uh, on auction sites tend to fluctuate over time, depending just on... You know, the mood of buyers and all of that kind of thing. And um, I think right now, part of what may be driving the prices up is that, uh, at least in my experience, a lot of the, the collectors tend to be from outside the U.S. And I think that the, the, the relative value of the dollar compared to other currencies is affecting that, uh, affecting how those uh, prices are wandering right now. Because I think that, that you know, because, like, for example, the yen, I think, is stronger, substantially stronger than the dollar right now. They're willing to spend more dollars to get stuff, if that makes sense. And what sort of stuff is it that you're selling on eBay? I've been selling a little of everything, software, hardware. Um, I've had uh, accessories. I mean, just all kinds of random stuff. I've got this big stash of just old stuff that just needs to be gotten rid of. Um, it's actually stuff I picked up to auction off because uh, uh, I needed to raise raise funds for various projects and uh, gadgets I needed to buy to get things done and whatnot. So uh, they're they're funding the purchase of of you know my CFFA and stuff like that. <laughs> so so this isn't you cleaning out your inventory in anticipation no. of abandoning the Apple II. Oh God, no! <laughs> hell, hell no! No, this is all extra stuff. <laughs> Uh, You're just flipping uh, it. You know, yeah, this is just stuff I'm flipping. Uh, things that I picked up specifically to turn around and, and get rid of uh, because peop- other people were dumping the stuff and it was either dumpster or you know me use it to fund my habit. <laughs> okay, just wanted to clarify that because this uh, is how rumors start. Oh, God, no, no. <laughs> Great. Uh, what about you, Sean? It's a lot of s- what I call stupid money out there floating around. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a sign of uh, the economy getting better, that people are spending more money on retro gear, uh, which, you know, is kind of a, a luxury item. Yeah. Gee, I consider it an essential. <laughs> and Tony? Well, I'm not all that convinced that the passing of Steve Jobs has anything to do with the prices, because looking back on it, you know, it tends to come into vogue and out of vogue <laughs> for whatever reasons. The, the, uh, the external... Currency versus the dollar is probably more of an indicator as well. But, you know, then you've got the people complaining. It's always the, the buyers, 
you know, there's a good percentage of buyers that'll say, oh, no, eBay, oh, it takes oh, whatever, and all this that you hear. And the sellers complain somewhat, too, because by the time you sell something on eBay these days, it's almost 20% gone. When you figure eBay takes 13, PayPal takes 3, paying whatever else. But mm-hmm. how much does a brick-and-mortar store cost, and where are you going to find Apple II hardware in a brick-and-mortar store that's going to, as a seller, where are you going to get that much money for it in a store? So therefore, your venue is worldwide. It's going to happen. The prices do go up and down. The other thing is, isn't necessarily that it's a currency-related thing. It's just that the Apple II wasn't as available abroad as it was here, except for in a few select places in the Far East, because there was a lot of clones, which exposed people to seeing it. And they go, oh, I want the real thing. So there was a bit of sales in Australia and the Far East, but... Overall, a lot of this stuff isn't over there like it was here. So if they really want it, now that eBay exists, 15 years into it, they can grab what they want. You know, I visited Japan in 98 and 99, and I went to Akihabara, and there was a couple Apple II shops that were basically known quite a bit around the community. Find your way down into the basement behind an escalator, hidden and back in the way, and as you're coming down the escalator and you get a peering into the guy's store, you see a wall of of uh, platinum and beige, and the first thing I spotted was a couple of duo discs on the top, and I walked in there, and I had the Mark Twain with me, and the guy was all over it. It's <laughs> like, it came into my store. <laughs> you know? I brought it there specifically for that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of those, there's a lot of, of interest, of pockets of interest in uh, in places. Mm-hmm. Another one that I'm seeing is, is even... Russia, for example, is kind of weird. They had their own weird clones, but there's a few people trying to get stuff over there now. If I can add something real quick, I, I wasn't suggesting necessarily that the the um, the uh, the state of the financial uh, markets and whatnot, the the values of currencies, was affecting uh, the number of sales, but the prices that were getting paid. Uh, I think that you know there hasn't been a significant change in the demand for Apple II stuff. Uh, from the Far East and Europe, but that uh, people are willing to pay more for it because of, or pay more U.S. dollars for it, which is not necessarily a change in how much they are paying in terms of their own native currency because of the relative value of the dollar to other currencies right now. And that's all I was suggesting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There, it's. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't take it the other way either. It was. Okay. Because the the demand hasn't really gone up, you know. Right. Yeah. With with the passing of Steve Jobs, that's what you know everybody would think. But I don't see it that way. I see it as it's, it, you know, it's got its ups and downs, and right mm-hmm. now we're in about the average up. Yeah. It's almost a shame that we're so far beyond the days when you could just walk into a Goodwill store and buy the parts you need. Yep. Yeah. Oh. It's on the way back from Kansas City every year. I stop in Hutchinson and. One of the one of the uh, jokes is, and I'm gonna, of course, I'd give it away. Everybody will be running to the Hutchinson Goodwill right now, but <laughs> I usually find at least one Apple II item in there, be it a box of software or something or other, and I make a, a habit to buy it. But it doesn't. They don't know the difference, but it's still the original days of of uh, KFest, and we all used to go to Software Etc. and mob the place asking for Apple II software. So, <laughs> <laughs> and the one day, the one year, I think the last year there was anything left was uh, all of that stuff. On one column, one one pillar in the store had one side of one pillar that had three little glass shelves on it, and there was Apple II stuff there. And the biggest statement we could probably make was everybody walked in and bought something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and bought the place out. Of course, that was the problem was 
guess what? There wasn't going to be any more Apple II stuff in there, but at least we got it. Mm-hmm. Although you think they, we would have demonstrated the demand, and then they would ramp up the supply, and then the next time we went to the store, it would just be nothing but Apple II. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's not how economics work. But Sadly. In the past few years, it seems like there's been more hardware being developed for the Apple II than software, and we've already reviewed the CFFA, A2 MP3, and Brainboard, and I was thinking that those were such big items that that was all that came out this past year. But then I started reviewing all the software that came out this year, and I was surprised to see quite a bit. In addition to upgrades to software like Nifty Spell, Slammer, Mounted, and Hash Tool, we also saw brand new releases like T40, Trasher, A2 Command, DMS Drummer, Code Breaker, also an upgrade to SideClick. So is the Apple II software scene alive and well? What do you think, Andy? Is the Apple II software scene alive and well? Well, I was very surprised to see something like DMS Drummer come out this year. So, you know, that was a blip for me that that wasn't created. You know, Michael Mahone had a hand in it, of course, probably a big hand in it, but that it, it came out from people who weren't, you know, people who come to K-Fest and all, the musicians. And I love that they have, there's another tool now for chiptune musicians where they can take this like highly portable Apple IIc to shows and then use that to do drum beats and synthesizer tracks and lay them down while they perform. So that to me was great. And that made, you know, I saw that on, in Gadget. I saw it reported in places that I wouldn't normally see Apple II news. So, you know, that was an example of a highlight for me. Yeah, why do you think that piece of software got such good publicity? Well, I think, I think the chiptune scene is, is definitely on the increase. Um, the interest is rising in it. So you've got people out there. Um, who also likes synthesizer and electronic-based music. Um, that's very popular. So I just think that coming together with using retro equipment um, to do chiptune and not just do it on new stuff is just, you know, very desirable. So I think all those things crystallized. What do you think, Sean? Well, when I heard the demo, uh, about fell out of my chair. It, was, it just sounded so great. And uh, I mean, I've heard the Apple II do some unexpected things as far as sound effects and music. But uh, this software just blew my mind about how much more it's capable of doing. I I was just impressed. Was there other software that impressed you that much this year? No, that that was the top of the pile for me. Cool. What about you, Mike? Any picks from this past year and any general comments about the state of the Apple II software community? Uh, My interest actually this year has been more in the, uh, the Apple... Apple II titles and and especially the FTA GS emulator on the iPad. Um, it, it's neat to see that stuff sort of repurposed and, and showing up on on newer pieces of technology like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was great about the FTA emulator is it with a, a little fiddling around with a, one of the files, you could add software and and uh, basically you had a functional, a completely functional 2GS on your iPad. Mm-hmm. So you weren't too enthusiastic about anything that came out for the actual. Apple II this year? Uh, I thought T40 uh, was was a neat uh, thing. I, I was really impressed with that. Yeah. Yeah, Crew, who came to KFest 2010 and 2011, has started releasing some cool stuff. I think there was a printer driver he did, and then this. And he's not somebody that we are previously associating with software development, but he's nonetheless started making a name for himself, and I hope he continues to do so. Yeah, me too. Tony, any software picks this year? Uh, the printer driver was a quite a bit of surprise 
I've actually gotten some decent use out of it. Totally out of left field. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have expected that in this day and age. Uh, hmm. Especially printer drivers back in the day were just such a pain in the neck to do. I mean, I'm involved in them firsthand and it's like all of a sudden, oh, he did this and three weeks later is another version. <laughs> but uh, the music, the recent music uh, software is pretty cool in terms of it brings back another piece of Apple II that we haven't heard from in a while and uh, goes to show you that once again you can push the hardware to, to even more limits when you thought it couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you never tell an Apple II user it can't it can't be done because particularly a developer, that's probably the best ticket to get it is sit there and mock them and say it won't be done. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was uh, with when 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 Gno came out. That was one of the things that he kind of got laughed at by Apple's DTS. It said, "Right, that is not going to work. You can't do that." And sure enough, it's okay. Then I don't need your help. We'll just do it ourselves. Hmm. Sounds like the basis for perhaps a reality show. You just <laughs> put put all these programmers through these trials and, and incite them to get things done. That sounds like. A regular job to me. <laughs> feed them hey, lots of, back. Feed them lots of and keep them in the dark. Yes. <laughs> right. Seven up and pizza and see what comes out. <laughs> Sheppy, any comments on Apple II software development this past year? Yeah, actually, um, you know, it's interesting the 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 shift that's happened the last few years toward doing things that nobody expected to see happen, uh, like. Uh, uh, in particular, the one that most intrigued me was uh, actually um, uh, Escape from the Homebrew Computer Club. Uh, that was, was, in my opinion, one of the most impressive pieces of, of programming I've seen in a long time. Uh, it, it's not something I expected to ever see happen, and I was, I was really blown away, what, uh, blown away by it. Just in general, some of the, the the stuff that's been going on has been really, uh, really quite um, quite interesting, and I I I enjoy being surprised by Apple II programmers each year, and uh, I look forward to seeing what kinds of weird stuff they come up with <laughs> next year. <laughs> yeah, Escape from the Homebrew Computer Club by David Schmenk is of particular interest because. It's been on everybody's mind this past year, but it actually came out four years ago, and just not many people noticed. Right. Well, yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't uh, exactly uh, uh, publicize its existence. I had never, certainly, never heard of it until until Kansas Fest last year. And mm-hmm. once I saw it, I was I was completely uh, uh, gobsmacked. Really. <laughs> now I have a question for you, Chef, since you're probably the premier software developer on this roundtable. There have been a lot of releases of programs like New Input, Slammer, Supermon, SideClick, which are not aimed at the end user. They're mm-hmm. aimed at developers. Is there still enough interest in the Apple II community for these kinds of tools? Are there enough developers to take advantage of them? You know, that's a good question. And I would say sometimes, um, you know, I don't, I, I think that, I think that these things tend to, some of them tend to be more useful toward the hobbyist, hobbyist programmer, new input in particular, for, as an example. Uh, it's useful for anybody, but it, um, I think has a particular appeal toward hobbyist programmers, uh, because it's, e- you know, it's easy to work with. It's, it's, um, you know, something you use from basic, uh, uh, that sort of thing. 
whereas something like side click is is targeted toward you know somebody who's doing serious development honestly i i created it primarily because i wanted to be able to use it but if uh if anybody else works with it that's awesome um there have been you know a couple of projects released that take advantage of it but but uh, the other than from me but uh, uh not many and that's that's more or less what i expected but it's it's nice that it's out there and i i keep hoping that you know more people will take advantage of it but yeah that's that's something that happens we get these these projects which are targeted toward developers and that's that's kind of par for the course i think that it's awesome that uh, programmers who create tools for their own use turn around and go, you know what, these might be useful to others, so let's put them out there and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And whether they're, whether they see a lot of use or not, I think it's still, uh, you know, it's still an awesome gesture to make. Because they would have been invented anyway, so might as well release them into the wild. Right, exactly. What are the non-Shepiware projects that use SideClick? Uh, Ryan did a couple. Uh, Ryan oh, that's Swanaga right. did. Um, and, uh, those are the only ones I know of though, offhand. And also a quick question for Sean, speaking of the challenges of finding fellow developers to take advantage of your tools. Last time we spoke on a podcast, we were ch chatting about the carte blanche card and I haven't heard much about that in the last year or two. It hasn't made many headlines. Do you know of anybody who's been out there exploring his capabilities? No, afraid not. Have everything new, uh, in a long time. I wonder if maybe that card just didn't have the audience that the developer hoped for. Well, I, I think the uh, it's a very sophisticated and interesting card with a lot of capabilities, a lot of potential, uh, and the tools are there for people to tap into it. But unfortunately, it may be beyond some people's skills. Uh, I think most people bought it, unfortunately, uh, planning on or hoping that a lot of other people would bring products to it, and they themselves, you know, maybe didn't have the skills. Mm -hmm. So right now they're just using it as a VGA card. Hmm. Well, that's still a valuable purpose. I mean, especially since the second side card isn't available anymore. All right. Okay, cool. So with all this hardware and software that's come out for the Apple II, it's apparent and obvious that there's still interest in using actual Apple IIs and using it on the metal. But there's also been a lot of development in emulation. We've seen updates to Sweet 16, Apple II Go, ActiveGS, as Mike alluded to, Open Emulator, and also Martin Hay is working on P2E. So I'm wondering what the future of emulation is. What additional features do we need to look at uh, replicating virtually? And what sort of environments do we want to see Apple II emulation be occurring in? And what can't we do via emulation that still needs to be replicated from the original Apple II. Uh, let's go to Sheppy, since you're the mastermind behind Sweet 16. Whew, boy, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, the thing about the, the, the thing about emulation is that, um, I think that for the most part, we have gotten just about as far as we're going to with with trying to emulate the the real hardware i think that the scant handful of things that don't get emulated right now are um things that are so um obscure as not to really be worth the effort to get done um the, for example, the one thing I think that you you really can't do right now in most emulators, although there are one or two that can do it, is like 3200 color mode on the GS, which is this weird hack that 
you know, frankly, is such a a a silly trick as not to be worth the effort to to emulate. And it's certainly something that I have no real plans to do on Sweet Sixteen, for example. That said, I think the the primary goal for certainly for me uh, is improved platform integration with like you know with the Mac being able to access the local files you know on your Mac from the GS environment and and things like that. Uh, those are kind of my primary targets uh, for my upcoming development work. I want to get Sweet Sixteen running on the iPad. Um, and that's part of the same process, actually, for me, is as I start to work on converting Sweet 16 to run in, uh, to be developed in Cocoa, Apple's, you know, newer generation programming interface. And as I do that, I'll be, it'll be easier for me to port it to the uh, iPad, which I want to do. I think that also being able to run uh, Apple II stuff on the web using something like uh, P2E is something that will be incredibly uh, incredibly useful going forward. Uh, I think that being able to you know pop up a virtual Apple II online and and do stuff would be incredibly handy. And uh, something that I think is is going to really be uh, handy going forward is some of the new features being developed on the web. Uh, new web technologies are going to make doing online Apple II emulation easier with things like local storage and. Uh, uh, index DB being able to store, you know, your own disk images locally, but use a remote emulator website to, to run them. Uh, new audio APIs that'll let you do, uh, let you actually have emulated Apple II sound, things like that, you know, in a web browser. I think that's going to make, uh, make things really interesting, being able to, to run Apple II stuff in your browser. Uh, especially as as like all of the major browsers are are making massive headway and making JavaScript faster, and you're getting to the point where you're able to do like real time, you know, high speed stuff in JavaScript. And I think that's going to make doing emulation online kind of one of the next frontiers uh, for uh, for the uh, emulation space. Do you think it's practical to have an emulated Apple II on a mobile device, or is there just a wow factor that makes you want to pursue it? I think that there is there is certainly there is certainly room for it. I think that that for like running games, it would be great. Certainly, um, um, like on the iPad, if you throw an external keyboard on it, I could see that as being like a really viable portable Apple II, especially if you had one of those you know those. Uh, iPad cases that have an integrated keyboard in them. You just unfold it and boom, you've got your little, you know, Apple II netbook basically there. There there are some some potential issues with with trying to do uh, emulation on a on a on a on an iPad or mobile device, a, a phone or whatever. Um, but I think it's an interesting challenge, and I think I certainly think there are certain certain uh, types of of application where where it's a, a certainly a viable environment for emulation because the apple II already has such limited screen real estate i imagine trying to squeeze that into the small dimension of an ipod touch for example would just extremely limit its usefulness you know i don't know that that's necessarily the case uh certainly the 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 pixel density of of the current generation iphone and uh, ipod touch make it 
feasible uh, to do it. Uh, I agree that like you know an eighty column text screen would be awfully small and hard to read on on like an iPhone, but you know it would be perfectly viable for games. I think certainly we see lots of games running on on the iPod Touch and the iPhone. I mean I believe you know it's essentially the most popular gaming platform out there right now for for portable games. And uh, so it's it's proven to be you know workable for for a gaming environment. So I could totally see playing you know classic Apple II games in an emulator that way. Um, for other things, one thing that's worth keeping in mind is you can plug your your iPhone or your um, iPad into a TV set and use your TV as as a screen. Uh, and one thing that I'm looking at is the possibility of using your iPad as your keyboard and uh, a trackpad while the GS is projected onto your TV set, uh, onto your HDTV. So you've got your HDTV showing your GS screen and you're using your iPad as keyboard and mouse, basically. I think that would be really cool. And that's something I would like to try to do. And do you think an app like that would get past the App Store regulations? Oh, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> um Absolutely not. But uh, I think that just being able to do it makes the, the challenge of doing it, the adventure of doing it, makes it worth giving it a shot. Now, I will say, given that the uh, FTA got their emulator through, although they had to you know, go through some hoops to do it, I think that that, that kind of cracks the door open a little bit toward the possibility of, of making some headway there. So we'll see. Uh, it it may wind up being the kind of thing where you know it's in a perpetual state of beta test, and you know if a uh, hundred lucky people get to sign up and and use it, we'll see. Uh, but it's something that I want to work toward, just because I I certainly want to have it for my own use, and that is usually the uh, incentive behind any project I work on, <laughs> is that it's something I want. <laughs> Great, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, I often consider you Juice GS's resident hardware expert as far as writing reviews for the magazine, but... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to Tony, but uh, you previously mentioned a lot of enthusiasm for the emulation scene. That's not what I would expect from somebody who really likes the hardware. So what's your take on emulation for the Apple II? I'm actually not a huge emulator user just because I, I when I, the times when I would want to use an Apple II tend to be when I have the machines around me. Um, I, I find that emulators, like I, there's that Candy Apple emulator for the Android, um, they tend to be sort of, as they are now, tend to be awkward and, and sort of difficult to use really effectively. But I, I do definitely use Sweet 16 uh, on my MacBook and I've got the Apple Win um, and a couple of others for the the Windows machines. Uh, so I don't, I don't, they're not totally without merit. Obviously, it's just there's not a lot of appeal uh, away from. Yeah, Sweet Sixteen is great because it's so featureful and you can do everything with it. But once you get away from that, there's there's not a lot of interest for me there. Uh, one thing that one that I have been watching lately has been Open Emulator, uh, which uh, is Mark Russell's application and it started out as an Apple one emulator and recently he's added the you know what he calls the 1977 Apple two functionality to it and I know he was planning to look at doing Apple three emulation as well so I'm, I'm definitely following that one I'm sorry I haven't been following that what does it mean to add 1977 functionality 
Um, Does that mean know. just taking away all the post-77 functionality? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't actually played with that function yet. Okay. And Tony, what's your take on emulation? As far as emulators, platforms are running on, even browsers becoming more apt to being able to allow the emulator to actually run and do more features. You know, we've come a long way with emulation, just as long, just as we've come with, you know, the, the real hardware. How many can be, can remember the first uh, two in a Mac, and even soft PC on a Mac on a Mac Plus or a Mac SE? Particularly two in a Mac, you can watch the screen boot. I mean, the screen load up a square at a time going across because it was running at a quarter to half a megahertz, and if that and that was even generous. But now it's possible to, almost like uh, in a flight simulator arena, people will use a flight simulator to actually fly and test their aircraft before they even go in the shop and make a wing or anything, because the flight simulators have become so realistic at simulating what's going on around them, the physics of flight and everything else. So the emulators have, have come into this too, to where you can probably design hardware at least concept or figuring out stuff and have somewhat of an environment to dabble before you go and take the soldering iron and get a board made or something. Yeah, maybe I'm dreaming, I don't know, but I see that platform expansion, interestingly enough, I don't think we've even really tapped that yet, but I think I see platform expansion happening in an emulator. In an emulator. You know, I'll take a dig back in the other direction there is a quite the piece of irony here in that it's easier for me to move files that I've downloaded from the internet to floppies using real hardware than it is for me to use an emulator on any platform. Unless I go back and run uh, something on Mac OS 7.1 or something like that. Why is that? You know, is the demand not there? Although we only, we've only recently had HFS pulled out from under us as far as total usability, so... You know, it takes a while to react to it, I guess. Hopefully we'll be there. Until then, mm -hmm. at least in the sense of Usenet and uh, CSA2 or, not, or uh, IRC way back in the 1980s or 1990s. In jest, I can say it must suck to be you. I have Ethernet and nobody else does. So, ha, ha, ha. No, I know. it's And actually what I do with the Ethernet, you can do with, uh, with other hardware available on eBay. So it's not really that bad. Sweet 16 has always goes through its, its uh, growth spurts, and it actually is a day-to-day a, uh, -day used item as far as Apple II workflow. It makes it does make things a lot easier working on the Apple II versus working on the uh, other stuff. Kind of makes you go, "Wow, how did we live with this small screen?" That's one thing I'm hoping. That uh, happens, although apparently I guess the toolbox and whatnot can sort of handle it. We don't know. I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, I mean, no matter how good your emulator, and even if you have an FC5025 adapter, you're right. You, if you want to work with actual floppy disks, which you may need to ship out to a client, you're going to have to use the original Apple II. Yeah, you have to push them over there somehow. Unless unless the, the original client, I mean, it's your actual client is the rare type that actually has an MFM Ability, which is a super drive card in this day and age. They can't read what you give them anyway, so, yep. 
Right. It's got to go, it's gotta go through uh, Platinum Harbor. All right, let's move over to Andy and let him opine about emulation for a moment. Well, you had asked about what um, features maybe do we still want to see in emulators, and I couldn't think of any until I, I looked at Open Emulator's list of features, and I thought two of them stood out to me. One was that you could add devices to the emulator on the fly. You didn't need to shut down the emulator or power off the Apple II, so that sounded pretty neat to me. Plug in printer cards, um, storage device maybe. And the second thing was that it looks like they really put a lot of effort into emulating all the video modes of the original Apple IIs, like all the, the crazy screens that weren't too clear and um, scan lines and all of that. So I like that. And the last one was that he emulates printers in the feel of kind of the printer paper, which I know is done by, um, I don't know, maybe remind me, there's the other Mac-based Virtual two. Virtual two, which is fantastic. With you even get the the sounds of the dot matrix printer printing your document out. Um, so that that was a couple that said, well, maybe if we can't get actual features that that emulate the hardware closer, we're getting nice interface features that make it uh, better or more desirable. I'll add something on the hardware bit. On um, dropping in, you know, plugging in a printer card and whatnot. The problem with that back then. And now, and, you know, maybe I'm going to run the sales of motherboards up now because people are going to try it. But you could plug in hardware on the real thing. Usually a control reset is all it takes for it to go, oh, it's there now. You have to go straight in that slot and straight out, and everything's got to contact at one time. It will work pretty much. Now, an emulator is going to be set up to obviously take care of that and do that. But it, it works. Most people can't do it, or they'll they'll static zap or something or other. But <laughs> one day in in uh, high school, when kids were being kids and everybody was up to shenanigans and whatever, somebody got mad at the at the uh, lab teacher and opened up one of the two pluses and took the disc controller out while the power was on and went in and out of every slot really fast. He goes, I'll fix her. I'll ruin this. Oh, I don't, you know, that stupid things people do, right? The computer still worked at the end of that five minute escapade of back and forth because he did one thing right every single time up and down really fast. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, it, it, uh, I mean, I've done it in controlled environment for reasons that I needed to pull something out without uh, losing memory. So no, but don't everybody out go out and do it and try it now. Just because. There's not enough motherboards left, especially if they're ROM 3s. You can't get them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't try this at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and last but not least, Sean. Well, I, I look at uh, emulation as sort of the gateway drug to the real thing. Uh, for me, uh, I love emulators like Sweet 16 and Virtual 2, and I'm, I've been keeping track of uh, open emulator as well. For me, uh, emulators are great for the casual user, for uh, sort of for, uh, you know, you want to take the machine with you. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I come home, I want to use the real thing. I mean, I, I, the, the smell, the touch, the tactile feedback of typing on the, the real keyboard, sliding that drive, or excuse me, that disk into the drive, uh, dealing with the the quirks of the hardware, uh, is kind of the challenge for me. Uh, 
uh, trying to get things that are broken working again, uh, whereas the emulator environment's just a little too sterile for me. Yeah, for those who have the option to actually use the hardware, it's great to be able to do that. But you know, for someone who's just looking to get back into the Apple II after years of absence and may not have the room or the money or the means to get an Apple II, that emulation sure is a nice alternative. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to me. Apple, when after an extended uh, time away from the Apple II community, uh, I discovered Apple Win, and then next thing I know, I have a garage, an office, and two storage buildings full of Apple II equipment. <laughs> and we do our best to help you with that every summer. <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you. We appreciate it as well. <laughs> and speaking of th- that occasion, this has also been a good year for the community and its events. Uh, in addition to uh, Andy and I going to the Vintage Computer Festival back in May, where we also saw Ivan Drucker and Jim O'Reilly and I got to meet some Juicy Yes subscribers for the first time. There was, of course, Kansas Fest. We had Bob Bishop as our keynote speaker. We had an attendance that required us to occupy two floors of a student hall in on the Rockhurst campus. And we also announced that we'll be having John Romero at Kansas Fest 2011. So let's talk about how awesome Kansas Fest is, what we love about it, and what's coming next, and what we hope to see. Andy. Well, I could announce some unofficial news is that we have a great selection of potential and tentative sessions already far more than we've had in the past. Um, so I think that's fantastic news. We got people looking at projects they want to do. At the last Kansas Fest, I must have taken, you know, three or four people's suggestions of, uh, sessions they want to do next year. So I'm going to be getting in touch with them and hoping that those come to fruition. Um, I also might, must say that I enjoyed, uh, the second year's return of Bite the Bag, which is one of our off hours crazy events there. And it was, it was fun trying to do that. I admit that I did another face plant this <laughs> year as well as last year. So I will never come in the top slots, but it's fun watching people do those, those fun games. Yeah. We have Jeff Weiss to thank for that. He put it on the schedule and he runs it every year. Uh, Andy, can you tell us anything about those sessions you mentioned or are they still off the record? Yeah, I probably should wait in order not to, you know, put undue pressure on the people who were still kind of feeling out whether they were going to do them. But I guess I, I could throw out one session, which a lot of you probably have heard about Kickstarter, which is kind of a group source funding project where you can fund your friends or small independent little projects. And we're going to have a session on what we as the Apple II community might consider. Can, can we ever get in the Kickstarter mode and help, help each other fund a project that, that might need that extra money to get off the ground? Hmm. Yeah, I've seen lots of other retro computing projects on Kickstarter, and a lot of them have been of interest to the Apple II community, but none of them have been exactly focused right on us. I wonder what we could do with that. Um, I'll mention one session that I would like to do at Kansas Fest. I haven't submitted it yet because I don't want to commit, but at Kansas Fest 2010, I ran the live text adventure game called Action Castle, and there are four or five other games from the same developer. One is called Jungle Adventure, and I'd love to run that for you all next year. It just requires me to take the time to learn the script and be able to moderate a session well. Hmm. Uh, Tony, you're the big cheese behind Kansas Fest. What do you think about this event? Uh... Which event? Oh, you just over, you just overwhelmed me. <laughs> <laughs> Kansas Fest 2011 uh, okay. with Bob Bishop. Thing, Kansas Fest 2012 with John Romero. Uh, it's going back and <laughs> actually part of the problem is I'm sitting here doing ten things at once. But anyway, uh, now 
who would have ever thought K-Fest could, could uh, go this long, especially when in uh, 95, I think it was, 94, 95, the, the year it almost wasn't. We had a, we got, we had, we arrived at, on campus at, we couldn't get in before three and we had to be out by 11 the, uh, after the second night. So it was almost one day. It took longer for most people to get there and commit to coming and they still came. Even though the news was put out, I think hmm. 40 days ahead, people still came. But, uh, no, it's, it seems to be, I don't, I won't say attendance wise, we're not growing leaps and bounds. Certainly back in the day we had, you talk about two floors. We used to take up two buildings. Uh, but last year was a resurgence in interest and, uh, the creativity that's coming out, out of it is still non-stoppable. It's still, I think it still harbors or incubates a, uh, portion of, of, uh, motivation for people to do things. The speakers are fun. It's, it's, uh, you know, you'd think I'm, one of my fortes is not marketing. And that's my problems. <laughs> that's why I have you. Let's <laughs> take care of it better. But no, uh, K-Fest is, every year it's never been the same as the other. And you always wonder how are we going to top this? I've learned to realize, you know what? Don't bother trying to even think about it because maybe it won't top it. Maybe it does. But with every year being so different, think of it as you're not topping anything you're just picking another part and going this going extreme with it because it's hard to explain without without showing up it's not a, it's not a cult it's not a, a click of people it's a week of uh retro computing and going back to the 80s and hearing stories about it the best part about k-fest isn't the sessions during the day sometimes it's the unexpected expect the unexpected because that's where the fun comes right in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny you talking about how we used to take up two buildings. I may have the exact details wrong, but I was looking through some old issues of Juice GS, and maybe, you know, f five, ten years ago, somebody had written, uh, oh, attendance hit an all-time low of 36 people. And then five years later, the same article say, this year we hit a five-year high of 36 people. <laughs> so it really, it really is all contextual. It's just relative yeah. to the era in which we're still having and, this event. You know, let, let your, it's amazing last year, or last year's event, uh, you know, how you said, well, we had to have it on two floors as well. We almost didn't, but due to the, due to the, the fun uh, scheduling and, and whatnot with the buildings we use at uh, Rockhurst, although we would have spilled three people on the two floors, so it was better that they spread everybody out because I, that's always the, the problem with, when I'm doing the rooms, it's like, I don't want to go on that second floor because I don't want to leave one guy up there. And so it, right. it worked. And I think, actually, I'd, I'd never walked up that second floor before in, in, uh, in Cochrane. So I'm like, oh, wow, there's a semi-large uh, space between these two up here. So there's another spot mm -hmm. we could we could uh, use for something. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw some yeah. cards being assembled in that room this year. But otherwise, you know, looking back at it, and I've even taken trips, road trips back to Avila a couple times, and it's funny how the first year at Rockhurst, we were like, well, this is not as easy to get to. We all ended up going to the uh, same places we did when it was out by the outer loop on the freeway, 
Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's strong. the only thing we knew where it was. But now, uh, we, you know, the first one says, wow, look, the Rockers people care. You can find help on campus anytime you need it, practically. They're out looking for stuff. And now you go back to Avalon, there's little blue boxes that say call buttons and stuff all over them, too. And for the first time in all the years, I was sitting in the parking lot just looking at it. And somebody walked up to me and asked if they could help me. So like, wow, what happened? From from we we've gone from we couldn't get the air conditioning fixed, they said, Oh, it just breaks, that's it, to why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess they're maybe they miss us. Yeah, we'll be back next year. <laughs> uh Sheppy, you returned to K Fest in twenty eleven after a one year hiatus. What was it like to come back and will you be coming back next year? <laughs> Uh, it, um, it was a lot of fun. Um, I really had a good time. The, the, the fact that there were people there I hadn't met yet was, was, uh, a blast. And, uh, uh, certainly, um, having Bob Bishop there was a big draw for me, uh, because I, I, you know, remember the stuff he did back in the, the good old days. As, as for 2012, I want to be there. I would like to be there i don't know if i will be yet uh there's a uh, a work thing that may conflict unfortunately uh so i have to wait and find out when that's going to be scheduled for all i know is it is sometime in july is there any chance that you could convince mozilla to have their quarterly meeting at rockhurst <laughs> no <laughs> they do have they do have one of the best networking infrastructures in the country at a college <laughs> Unfortunately, they probably don't have enough room for the number of people that would be involved in this event. But wouldn't who at Mozilla would not want to come meet John Romero? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Imagine my imagine my shock when I when I was trying to upload a uh, a sample piece of video to the camera manufacturer of the car the camera I used for the Drivecast this year. They said I figured okay I'll, I need to upload a 50 meg piece that's going to take a little while. And I accidentally ended up dropping the four gig piece, the four gig file on the up on the FTP site anyway, and didn't realize it. And when I look back five minutes later, it was almost done. I go, oh, that was not bad for 50 megs. And I realized, wait a minute, that was the five gig one. Up, mm -hmm. up, upstream. Holy wow. crap! <laughs> yeah, Rockhurst even won an award from Computer World for its hardware deployment and technology. They have a great infrastructure for an event like Kansas yep. Fest. You wouldn't think that 35 people would need so much, but they do a really yeah. good job accommodating us. Let's see. Mike, you, if I understand correctly, had a wrench thrown in your plans regarding Kansas Fest 2012 when we announced the keynote speaker. I did. <laughs> you told me you weren't going to go. I, I wasn't planning to, to attend 2012, <laughs> and, and now, of course, I have to go. Um, it's a plot. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> no. In all seriousness, though, I, I Kansas Fest is one of the things that I look forward to for most of the year. I mean, it's it's still six and a half months out, and I'm already, you know, like thinking, when, okay, when are they going to put up the registration, and when can I start planning, and this and that. Um, I, 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 Tony had mentioned kind of the, you know, the the planned sessions are great and all that, but. It's the unexpected stuff that I look forward to. You know, the CFFA 3000 presentation, which just sort of happened in the common area there. 
uh, turned out to be a real highlight for me uh, this past year. And I, I, I look forward to Kansas Fest because it's great for me to go and I just have like, I have a week of nothing but doing Apple II stuff that I've wanted to do the past year and hadn't had time to for whatever reason. And it's nice to have other people there that I can hunt down and ask questions. You know, I, I roomed with Sheppy this past year and so it's, it's easy to say, Hey, why is Sweet 16 doing this? Or, or I can, I can go down to, yeah. to Tony's room and say, Hey, can you pull this chip out of this board for me? Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I look forward to when I think about Kansas Fest is, is the opportunity to be, to be around people who know more about the stuff than I do and, and be able to learn from that and, um, work on these projects that I have in mind and just for whatever reason haven't had the time to do. Yeah, no matter what your specialty is in the Apple II, there's somebody at Kansas Fest who probably knows more or knows different things. And between all of us who come all the way to Kansas City every summer, I think we know probably everything. There's no better place to learn more and get your problem solved. Exactly. Yeah. And to make new friends. Yep. And Sean, you are a mainstay of Kansas Fest, bringing your garage to the event every year. How do you feel it went this past year, and will it be back in 2012? Uh, it was great. I, we, uh, James Littlejohn is a huge help for me. He, he uh, brought the bus up and loaded it up. Uh, uh, he, so he's a, he's a big help for me. And, and, uh, but I was surprised at how much stuff got taken this year we were expecting to have to put some of the old Macs and uh maybe some of the old parts back on the bus but it, like 95 percent of everything got taken away which was great we were really happy to see that happen uh gave away a lot of magazines software uh, as far as it coming back next year we're not so sure uh i have more stuff to give away i've accumulated more extras if you will so if, it, if I can swing it, I will. Right now, it's kind of up in the air. Would it help if we went to the garage like we used to in the old days? Possibly. It makes my, my wife a little nervous. I mean, she's happy to see everybody come and haul stuff away because, uh, you know, she, she's always after me to get the garage cleaned out. But we'll just have to wait and see, play by ear. Yeah, just tell her you hired some help to clean the garage, and here we are. <laughs> that might work. <laughs> yeah, we get paid in computers. There you go. <laughs> the Kansas Fest experience, of course, comes only once a year, and as Mike said, it's still six and a half months out, but there have been a number of fantastic ways, especially this past year, to keep that community feeling going all year round. I would say that, in a way, we're almost better connected now than we've ever been. We have online sources like a2central.com, to which Mike has been posting a flurry of posts lately. We have podcasts like the Retro Computing Roundtable, which turned a year old, I think, last month. And, of course, this podcast, Open Apple, which debuted earlier this year. We have uh, David Grealish, also of RCR, who released his historically brewed book through Kickstarter. And we have Juice GS, which just completed its 16th year, its first one with color covers, and an announcement of a 17th year coming in 2012. So... How how connected do you find this community to be? What's your favorite way to stay connected? And what do you hope to see us do outside of Kansas Fest in 2012? Sean? Well, uh, I'm sorry. Could you, re could you just repeat the question? <laughs> there are a lot of them. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite way to stay connected outside of Kansas Fest? And what changes would you like to see made to make us even better connected in 2012? Uh, 
I don't know if we can get any more connected than we are. Uh, I mean, we have resources like CompSys Apple II, and uh, we have a pretty active uh, IRC channel going on at irc.a2central.com. Uh, and we have a lot of websites out there that are, you know, put putting out the news like A2 Central podcasts like Open Apple and Retro Computing Roundtable. Juice GS, you know, when it gets here, it's like I open that thing up and I have it read, you know, within an hour. Retro Computing Roundtable and, and Open Apple especially, they take me three or four days to listen to because uh, I usually listen to them in the car on my way to work. I, I think, uh, I think we're pretty well connected as we are right now. Mm-hmm. Funny, it takes you three days to listen to an episode. It takes me about 90 minutes. <laughs> well, uh, Open Apple has gotten pretty long and longer. and uh, Not that I th- say that's a bad thing. It's just, you know, my commute's 45 minutes one way, and uh, it just takes me a few days to listen to all those podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great to have so many to choose from. Uh Mike, obviously you're a part of Open Apple, but you've become more a part of A2 Central recently. I also noticed that your 6502 Lane blog went on hiatus. Temporarily, yeah. It's it's sort of back right now. I, I don't know that this is really the place to to get into that. Okay. Well, we can talk about just uh, the connectedness of the community and what your involvement might be in the next year or what you're hoping to do in the next year. Well, I, I I agree with Sean. I, I think we're pretty well connected. Anytime we want it, there's there's Apple II goodness out there to be had. So I, I'm actually kind of happy with the way things are. And let's see. Let's talk to Andy about this. Um, I guess um, this past year, most of my connectedness has been through working with on Juice GS, and I just enjoy that there's there's still new writers out there who are doing articles about different projects. Um, whether they're reviewing or they're working on their own software. So I, I like to see that end of it. Um, I haven't been as much involved with, um, like posting news on A2Central this past year or the CompSys group, but, um, KFest and Juice, uh, definitely keep me involved. Andy, I think you're one of our community's unsung heroes, maybe because you don't have a blog of your own, but, I've seen you sending me emails Christmas week at 1 a.m. with last-minute edits to JuiceGS to make it the polished product it is, and you're also reviewing the spreadsheets that we create in anticipation of every episode of Open Apple, chiming in with ideas and uh, news that we may have overlooked, and I really appreciate everything that you do. Oh, thanks, Ken. Well, it's it's really fun to participate. <laughs> well, what about you, Shep? You know, I I think that you know I I'll I'll echo everybody else and say that I think yeah we're we're it would be hard to be more connected than we are. Um, certainly, you know, one of the things I do is when I sit down at my desk, I log into the, you know, the Apple II chat at uh, irc.a2central.com, and I, I pretty much spend the day there. Um, I mean, I'm doing other things too, but, but you know, we try to uh, keep things alive. Uh, we have uh, <clears throat> wide-ranging discussions, uh, but when the Apple II comes up, it, it gets it gets the attention it deserves, certainly. Yeah, I found that the IRC nowadays, it's sort of just a place where everybody goes, not necessarily to talk, but just to be together. It's just something that you have in the background where you know you're on the same room, and should you happen to have something to say, yep, then you're already there. Right, exactly. I mean, we'll just hang out there, and sometimes you know we'll go quite a while with nothing being said, but you know, if you have something to say, you, you, you say it and, you know, there are people there to hear it. And, and, uh, 
you know, sometimes we'll have, you know, discussions about Apple II related stuff. And, and you know, I'm looking at, I, I'm logged into it right now, and we've got discussion about the upcoming Hobbit movie, about what uh, uh, six-year-old nieces are like. <laughs> uh, and then fl- and then we go on to talk about flash memory and uh you know it just i mean we talk about all kinds of stuff and then you know somebody will mention something about the apple II and we'll jump into that for a while and then you know it, it's it's really quite interesting and it's a lot of fun it's a, our our own little our own little community hangout area yes yeah, i think if people are going into that room looking for apple II conversation and they get all this other stuff they might be surprised but i like the additional dimensionality it brings to the characters in the Apple II community. We're not all just <laughs> Apple II people. Right. Well, and, and you know, if, if all we talk, if all we were going to talk about there was the Apple II, we, we wouldn't have all that much to say. You know, the people who, who, who the kind of the core community that hangs out in there all the time, you know, they, they know most of the things they want to know about the Apple II already. They don't have questions, you know. <laughs> but we're there to answer questions. If somebody new comes along and has questions, we're, you know, we've got a lot of really smart people hanging out there to uh, to help. And uh, so we find other things to talk about in the interim. And so, I think that's awesome. So you guys are kind of like the gurus on the top of the mountain. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Except the mountain is really easy to climb. All you need is an IRC client or, you know, or uh, click the link on one of the many websites that will take you to a web interface to it. Mm-hmm. So. And Tony, the uh, the connectivity is you know obviously probably a lot better than we even thought we'd ever see. You know, used to when back in the BBS era, you know it was a one on one deal. You'd call up, you dial in. It's your bo- it's your your venue for however long. You're either going to pay the long distance bill. Or you figure out a way around the long distance bill, whatever you did back then, and then when you were done, somebody else would do it, and then maybe you'd try back another hour to see if they answered your stuff and whatever. Now it's, it's, uh, I mean, who would have ever thought that? For most people, another thing we used to say is, do you want the phone company to bring you TV, or do you want the TV people to bring you the phone? And we always used to laugh and say the cable companies, people didn't know what they were doing, and it was a joke, and the phone companies it, and they know what's going on. And it's kind of funny because for most people, it's the other way around now. The cable people have brought better internet service than the uh, telephone company ever did. The telephone company has become nothing but a big call center, and they don't even run it. <laughs> There's the irony of it. They, they contracted it out. But anyway, the, the connectivity that we have now is, is uh, our own virtual virtual quad of sorts in that, yeah, you go out there and say something, see something, you have a frustration, you have a question, pop this thing on the screen. It is a little frustrating in that you'll see people come in and either get snitty or something about it, you know, we are talking about politics or whatever the heck screw this, and where's the Apple II? And then they'll message me and say, all you people do is talk about this thing. Well, did you open your mouth and say something? No. You left. So say something. You'll see it. But no, we can't sit there and talk about that forever. Even the Disney Channel doesn't have Disney on it 24-7. But it does have... It's got the targeted audience taken care of. No. Got a question? Bring it up. You'll get a well-informed uh, answer. And I do have to say it's kind of cool knowing that you all are out there and having contact with my friends anytime I need. 
And that's something I never would have, again, back in the day of imagining when this used to cost 35 cents a minute. Now it's 60 bucks a month, but it's always there. So. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it also helps uh, foster even more ideas because someone will come away from that going, oh, wait, really? We can do this? Yeah, this isn't exactly a difficult community in which to participate. We're pretty open about that. Uh, several of you mentioned outlets that I had overlooked when I started this line of inquiry, such as CSA2 and IRC. There are a couple of others that warrant a mention. There's Bill Martin's Call Apple website, which covers a lot of stuff, but also the Apple II. There's our Facebook group, the Apple II Enthusiasts, which receives a surprising amount of activity. And also, earlier this year, on the flip side of the coin, we saw the last issue of 300 Baud magazine. It only lasted three issues, but they were three really cool issues, and I'm sorry to see it go. Um, 100 Baud an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. We had some other losses this year. Of course, there was Ryan Suinaga, and we, uh, we've already spoken about him at length, both on Open Apple and, more importantly, at Kansas Fest. I think we've all shared our memories of him and how much it hurts to be without him. More recently, we also lost Steve Jobs. Now, I was actually pretty upset when he died. For me, it was unexpected. I know a lot of people saw it coming, but I didn't. And when I read his sister's eulogy, uh, it hit me again how challenging that can be to lose an Apple co-founder. And when I started to put together a tribute to Steve Jobs in Juice GS, I actually had one or two people advise me that I may not want to publish anything in commemoration of Steve Jobs because the Apple II community has some mixed feelings about him and his role with the Apple II development and its cessation. And so I want to just, uh, this could be a whole other podcast on its own, but I just want to briefly talk about how you were affected by Steve Jobs' passing and what do you think it means to the Apple II community? Sheppy? You've hit it on the, the nail on the head with that. The, the Steve Jobs is, is a, a, a bit of a divisive figure, I mean, universally, but also, uh, you know, especially in the Apple II community, because, you know, he was largely responsible for the commercial success of the Apple II, but his kind of constant wanting to move on to the next big thing uh, uh, was also at least in some part responsible for the, the Apple II's cancellation uh, eventually. That said, though, I think that his his contributions to the success of the Apple II outweigh his contributions to its demise. I think that uh, despite the fact that he had really essentially nothing to do with the actual technical capabilities of the Apple II, he turned it into a product that could be sold and put into you know millions of homes and businesses the way it wound up being. And I think without Steve Jobs, the Apple II would have been just another hobbyist machine. If it had been just Waz, it would have been, you know, a motherboard for sale at best, you know, or a motherboard in a cheap metal case, you know, for sale. And I think that it would not have been a success. It would have been uh, uh, just another hobbyist, you know, computer that that sat around. Who knows what the state of the uh, the personal computer industry would be today without him. Certainly, it would have taken longer to take off. You know, for that alone, I think that you know Apple II users need to put their their hard feelings and their their frustrations with Steve Jobs aside and uh, recognize the fact that you know uh, he really did have uh, a lot to do with the successes of the Apple II as well as its as its uh, eventual uh, 
demise. And I think that recognizing those successes right now is the most important thing. Nicely said. What do you think, Sean? Well, I, I think uh, without Steve Jobs, the Apple, the Apple II uh, certainly probably would not exist. Uh, or if it did, it would be sitting collecting dust in, in Waz's closet somewhere because it was Jobs' desire to turn the Apple into a commercial product that kind of drove the entire, you know, Apple becoming a company and uh, the venture, venture capital coming in and, and kind of launching that aspect of the computing industry. I think without Steve Jobs, we'd be using some form of visual CPM today or clunky old hardware. It, it's hard to, it's, it's kind of hard to speculate, you know, I don't think computing as we know it today would be as far along as it is. I, I think, I, th- I just don't think it would be as advanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he had a huge impact on a far larger community than the Apple II. And it's impossible to know what the absence of one man in computing's history would have had on us. Well, I know there are a lot of other uh, pioneers and inventors, and I don't mean to detract from them at all, but I think uh, Steve Jobs was the whip that kind of drove the industry and that, uh, you know, made all the, a lot of these other companies innovate and, you know, push the, the technology along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's very true. I mean, he needed his engineers just like they needed him. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Tony? Looking back at it, uh, similar to the McDonald's corporation, the McDonald's brothers had their idea in, uh, in San Bernardino, California, they figured out how to make food fast, purportedly good at the time. And then Ray Kroc comes along and says, hmm, I can sell this. I'd have to say that's probably where Steve Jobs fit in with, with the Apple grand scheme of things. Uh, like has already been mentioned, the Apple II probably would have sat, you know, oh, cool, look what I did. You know, I mean, we, we all heard Wise talk. He said, I'm going to build a computer. And his dad looked at him and said, yeah, right. And, well, he did. Because back in the day, as he said, they were as big as a house. But now he can fit one on his desk because it's he designed it. And uh, kind of like I just likened with myself, I'm not really that much of a marketer. Steve Jobs comes along and says, we can sell this. Here, make more. Do this to it. And there it went. And yes, Steve's example is probably biggest frustration factor from the consumer end of things is move on to the next big thing. Not we're done with that, move on to the next big thing. But a lot of people tend to get defensive about Steve Jobs and the Apple II, but look back at it. He was basically gone from Apple through most of the Apple II's reign. It wasn't like mm-hmm. he was there saying, nope, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. In fact, it was gone before he even came back. But you got to mm-hmm. figure, 77, 78 to 92, I don't think there'll be another piece of consumer electronics that'll last that long in its original form ever. Yeah, sure, they've been selling iPods for 10 years, but that iPod now is nothing like that original click wheel thing, or the original uh, wheel, the disc actually moved, you know, so, whereas the Apple II largely lived for most of, you know, if you divide it up into thirds, for two-thirds of it, it was pretty much the two-plus with some enhancements around it. The 2GS mm-hmm. was a second set of features added to it. But anyway, so to lump on Steve Jobs and say, you know, he was the evil, the evildoer of the Apple II, no, that's 
I, I don't see that at all. Again, he was gone by 85, and the Apple II was only three years old by then in all actuality, and it was still going ridiculously gangbusters strong at that point. It was that that time and year after the 2GS came out that they tried to say, nope, no more Apple IIs, and look at that. It still took five years for them to finally realize they couldn't... They, <laughs> uh-huh. they, and they still had to put out updates, even after they killed it. So, but yeah, it's... The apple that wouldn't yeah, exactly. die. <laughs> but no, I, you know, Steve was uh, one of a kind, a visionary. That's probably I'm sure there'll be something in parallel like it because like him, but in its own world, the words aren't coming out right there. In every industry, every revolution has a peak, and there's always a leader in it. And I'm sure the next thing that comes along will probably have a similar, a similar method of growth. Mm-hmm. That'll be exciting to see. And Mike McGinnis, what's your take on Steve Jobs? It will be interesting to see how well Apple does going forward uh, without him. I know that I guess he outlined plans for products for the next few years, and it seems like they're in, in good hands with Tim Cook. And, of course, you still got Johnny Ive there doing uh, the, the heavy lifting with the uh, design work. And, obviously, I don't think Apple stock is taking a big hit or anything like that. I think they'll be secure for a long, long time. Yeah, you and I already spoke about this in our own podcast, but it'll be interesting to see the first product out of Apple that is not directly influenced by Steve Jobs, like something that isn't even in the works or in the pipeline right now. It might be a while, but I wonder if we'll be able to tell what it is. And Andy? Um, I guess the two themes for Steve that stood out for me is he was one who came more from the the counterculture movement, and he wasn't wasn't from the corporate side of the track and I, he really carried that through, you know, not just the early years, but he, he always wanted to go, go with what he felt was best. I mean, he, he eschewed, um, committee design processes and, you know, he put a lot of his own influence on the products and said he, you know, his sense of design was high enough that it, it did stand the quality test. Um, and that started with the Apple II. I mean, if he didn't start that off, even when he left, you know, would we have had the the frog design firm that that joined to work with Apple all those years, who kind of gave us the Snow White theme of the Apple IIc and products like that? I mean, it just he he really set high standards in the beginning, and they've gone on long. I, I hope they'll keep continuing. Well, we're just about toward the end of this podcast. I want to start the final segment by asking each of you what was your favorite moment or acquisition of 2011 as we look back on the year and to balance that playing field out a little bit i'd like to ask you if the cffa 3000 is your favorite choose your second favorite is that <laughs> and also what's your greatest hope for 2012 uh let's start with andy well on the acquisition front i've been kind of on a kick ever since i read dungeons and desktops by Matt Barton, where he kind of chronicled the history of computer role-playing games. And I've been acquiring some of these over the last year. So uh, one of the fun ones I got was an early SSI game called Realms of Darkness for the Apple. And it was kind of weird because it was kind of a text parser with an adventure graphics kind of grafted on. And it was the only one that SSI did like that. And I got a really nice condition copy off of eBay. Um, and it was affordable. <laughs> <laughs> That's surprising. <laughs> and for my hope for the, the this year, I guess I um, KFest is such a great experience that I hope we get 
you know, few new people that decide to that this is going to be their kind of journey to Mecca this year and mm-hmm. save up the money for it. Think of an idea to present uh, some sort of thing to share with your fellow geeks down there and come for five great days. It's it's really a blast. Great. Thank you. Uh, what about you, Tony? It's I can't really pull any one thing out. It's kind of I don't know if it's either I see so much or I whatever, but it's all a blur to me. Uh, I do, I can say that probably the biggest, the fact that we're all still here, it's all still going, that new things are happening, and this year's uh, keynote at K-Fest was actually pretty cool. Again, we're pl- plugging that, but uh, no, I'm sitting here, I'm literally drawing a blank, I'm going, okay, what new thing did I get this year? And of course, you know, I got the brain board and, and the MP3 player and whatnot. I can't put one over the other. It's just mm-hmm. cool that it's all still happening. Right. We're all winners. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony, for 2012? Um, for 2012. Well, let's see. I guess it's time to have a blatant plug. Be on the lookout for A2 Airwaves. I said I wanted to do a podcast for ever and ever and ever, and I'm going to figure out how to do it. And it may not be all Apple II, it may not be weekly, monthly, or whatever, but I'm going to try to do something to have a little bit of uh, retro 80s and Apple II themed and possibly a little bit different format than others where we'll have uh, the typical vocal podcast, but I may do a piece of one, like here's how to do your disk drive or here's how to do this particular thing and throw a video out with it. I'm very sorry to hear that you've chosen to be blacklisted from Open Apple. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We're all friends here. And what about you, Mike? Well, I really enjoyed, uh, like Tony mentioned, I really enjoyed the Bob Bishop keynote this year, especially after being able to interview him for Juice GS. It was neat to hear more about the stuff that we talked about and meet the guy in person. As far as acquisitions, I, I've really been having a lot of fun hunting down Apple III stuff because it's a lot harder to find than a lot of the Apple II um, hardware, and it, it seems that there's I, I have less competition for You're that. looking in the right place. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, the California. It's, it's been... Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no, it's been fun to, to kind of, because a lot of the hardware and software especially was produced after Apple had already killed the, the Apple III line, so it was never produced in, in big numbers. Um, so that's been interesting to learn about that. And I guess for 2012, you know, I, this isn't anything specific, I guess. Uh, I had a really great time taking the road trip back to Massachusetts with you, Ken, um, and seeing other Apple II users outside of Kansas Fest. And, and hanging on. So I guess maybe I'm looking forward to, to having that sort of experience again, not necessarily a road trip or anything, but um, I don't know. Well, you might need to find a different uh, co-pilot for your next trip. Well, of course, because we can't stand each other anymore. <laughs> Especially after Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, road trips are fun. Anyway. What happens in Milwaukee stays in Milwaukee. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you said you'd never mention that. <laughs> It's just between you, me, and the internet. <laughs> Sean, 2011, 2012? Well, I went through a, a pretty strong uh, Apple II and II Plus phase this past year, and I was very happy to acquire 
uh, a couple of original Apple IIs and some Bell and Howells that uh, are really super nice shape, uh, practically pristine, and I've been just playing with those constantly. Been having a lot of fun. As far as 2012 goes, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, spending some uh, more quality time here at home with my family. I, I'd like to, to make an announcement, if it's okay, with Mike and Sheppy. Sure. Of course. Mike McGinnis has uh, graciously accepted a new role at A2 Central. He's going to be taking on the the role of lead editor now, and that's probably that's responsible. He's responsible for the flurry of the recent uh, updates to the site. Uh, I haven't really had time to. I haven't really been able to commit a lot of time to the site lately, so uh, he stepped up to the plate and he's now doing a lot of the work. So he's now the the lead editor of A2 Central. Ah, congratulations, congratulations. Mike. Hooray for me. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, yeah, thanks, guys, for, for considering me for, for that position and asking me to do that. It's it's, a, it's actually uh, a real honor to kind of step up and, and help out however I can. I've been a big fan of A2 Central for a long time now, and so it's neat to be a part of that on a different level. Yeah, and congratulations to Sean on tapping this talent. Well, he was the only one we could find. Exactly. <laughs> he was the Everyone only one willing to take no. the job. Yeah. <laughs> really scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Pretty much. No, really, it's uh, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And Sheppy. Yeah, uh, 2011 was an interesting, interesting year. The Apple II world went went places that went unexpected places, and uh, uh, I'm sure 2012 will see more of the same. From my perspective, my my uh, most exciting events of, of 2011 would definitely be the uh, the CFFA 3000 and the A2 MP3 card, with which 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 do this epic battle in my brain for which is the more awesome. Um, and and uh, uh, as far as 2012 goes, I'm I, I approach 2012 with a lot of curiosity. I I just I really don't know what to expect anymore. Anything that I I proposed or suggested or guessed at would probably be wrong because this community has started to surprise me in in fascinating ways. I'm not even going to venture a guess at this point. I just think that it's going to be uh, fun to watch. Oh, but proving you wrong is fun. <laughs> but I don't want to be proven wrong. I get that enough at home. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, I want to chime in with mine. In 2011, my favorite moments were, like Mike, traveling across the country, both to Denver with Andy and from Denver with Mike. We made a lot of Apple II-related stops along the way, and it's just amazing how they're everywhere, and you don't even have to go out of your way to bump into somebody that you know. Uh, my favorite acquisitions were actually kind of minor, but they were very personal. I really liked all the microzines that I picked up either through eBay or at Kansas Fest. People were literally just leaving them on my doorstep because they knew I loved them. And also, I received a Christmas gift, which is featured on the back cover of the latest issue of Juice GS, which really touched me. There will be a blog post on the Juice GS website about that in the coming week. And for 2012, I'm working on uh, several preservation projects. I don't know what's put me on this kick, but I've really been interested in preserving everything the Apple II community is doing. I think that comes partly from Jason Scott, but actually also from Ryan. Uh, just everything that happened the past year really drove home to me that this stuff isn't going to be around forever. So I'm not necessarily re-releasing new uh, products that haven't been seen in ages, but just 
taking the steps to make sure that they're available in a variety of formats and outlets. And I have two announcements that are ready to go, but I'm working on a third one so that I can make all three simultaneously. That should be the coming two or three weeks, I hope. Peas. Yes. <laughs> I'm good at that. <laughs> and finally, I want to give everybody the opportunity to make a blatant plug. If you already have, you're welcome to do another one. Uh, your favorite thing about the Apple II community, a product or service or person or site that you think everybody should know about, be it yours or somebody else's. Let's start with Tony. Well, another thing that uh, along with the podcast that will probably end up happening is I will probably be using, uh, probably trying to do a little more blogging on Apple II related stuff as well. Uh, kind of the blog might be in parallel with the podcast, and that will be at resetvector.com, along with uh, another, again, I guess for a lot of us are on the archival kick. I kind of have been on it for a while because I've amassed so much stuff, but uh, stepping back to the last topic real quick, I think, yeah, anyway, the best acquisition all year, I have to probably say is probably finding stuff that I got. Wow, that's where that is. Um, if anybody wants to come to California for, for a week. I do. Uh, <laughs> a week or two, <laughs> 10 days is probably good because it'll take you a day to realize you're here and another day to realize you don't, you, you don't want to go. But got couches, can sleep, and you can sort and touch Apple II stuff all day long because what I basically do is pick something up and find out where there's more of it and go put it over there and bring something else over here. And I've got, I've got, uh, couple garages worth of cubic content that need to get sorted out and figured out and uh, my next acquisition is I would like to have find a large format scanner because I want to you know take the archive.org approach to things even if it's not distributable or whatever I want to get it on electronic and on discs and in other places besides here that's upcoming for me I have one of those. I should just drive it out there for you for a week or two. Well, there's that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm only, if by only large, over the mountain. Well, if yeah, pretty much. Uh, if by large format, you mean the the 11 by 17 At size. At least, yeah. I also yeah. have. I also want to try to find even if I can just get access to a drum scanner at some point to scan a bunch of uh, e sheet uh, stuff. That that I can't help but you. That's with. going to have to be a niche thing, or I'm going to find some place because I've got a lot of schematics and whatnot. But, need to get off this yep. paper that's going to get more yellow. Yeah. You know, if, if anybody needs anything delivered within the Apple II community this year, I think you should just give it to Peter Neubauer and it will eventually get there. <laughs> he seems to be everywhere. <laughs> that's true. Peter and, Peter, Peter and Ivan were here the day before uh, on Friday and uh, it was kind of funny because neither one of them knew that the other was here and I kind of put two and two together and I says, well, if one, I knew Pete, obviously I knew Peter was here and Ivan says, I'm in your neck of the woods. So I said, well, how about Friday or Friday or Saturday? Ivan says, Friday, Peter said, gave me two days. And I said, well, let's do it this day. And, uh, nobody wanted to go for pizza. They all wanted to see what was here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ivan emailed me to say that there should be a reality show where they just follow you around the house as you pull stuff yeah. out. <laughs> I told him there already is such a show. It's called Hoarders. Hoarders, yeah. <laughs> Poor Tony. He he he's gotten to the point where that's not funny for him anymore. <laughs> it's still funny for the rest of us, though. That's all right. The majority rule. We mean well. What what about you, Sheppy? What's your blatant plug? You know, I I I decline to answer on Fifth Amendment grounds. No, I hope to have time to work on stuff. I've got my 
my GS and my, my actual Apple IIe set up here. I've got lots of ideas in my head. I just got to have time to, to do it. And uh, uh, life is busy. Having a, a, a past Syndicom on to Tony, which I guess is, you know, an event of this year that hasn't been mentioned. But uh, having gotten, gotten Syndicom off my back, I have more time for code. I just, you know, I need to get caught up on all the all my backlogged projects and, and get some stuff done. Uh, I'm hoping to get another Sweet 16 update out, you know, sometime in the next few months. I'm hoping to, uh, I've got a couple of actual new project ideas that I'm, I'm hoping to make time for. And of course I'm working on that, uh, that, uh, uh, those projects for the A2 MP3 card for the USB device access. So We'll see where I get and uh, when I get there, but uh, it's going to be a fun year of working on projects. Yeah, whatever it is you're working on, whatever it is that you finish, I'm sure it'll be a fun and productive year. Well, if not for everybody else, then at least for you. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. that's the way I see it. Cool. <laughs> uh, what about you, Sean? Well, I really don't have anything to, uh, to plug, but I would like to take a moment to uh, thank everybody in the Apple II community. Th- this year I've benefited from... Uh, a lot of folks helping me out, uh, sending me some equipment, uh, some technical information that's really helped me out. And I just want to tell, I want to wish everyone a, a prosperous and wonderful retro computing new year. Well, thank you, <laughs> sir. Here. Same to you. <laughs> and Mike? Uh, well, um, obviously I've become a much bigger fan of A2 Central recently. <laughs> 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 um, I, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> The, the scanning is ongoing at uh, apple2scans.net. Um, Randy Brent just dumped a bunch more stuff on me. Um, every time I get one thing scanned, there's five more that seem to pop up. So I'll just keep working on that. And I look forward to seeing everyone at Kansas Fest 2012. Cool. And we look forward to seeing you. Hey. And Andy. I'd like to plug the Vintage Computer Festival East um, version 8.0, which is coming up in May in New Jersey. So if you're at all in the East Coast, um, there's been quite a few of us uh, Apple II community folks there, so it's like a nice pre-K-Fest kind of gathering. Is Snooky going to be there? <laughs> Is who? Snooky. I do not know Snooky. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I would like to plug uh, two outlets one is a2history.org, Steve Weirich's site, which got remodeled to WordPress in the year 2010. My favorite aspect about it now is not only that it's always that is that it's still the repository it's always been, but now there's a blog component. There's more dynamic content to it. I just wish that he would post more often because I love the stuff that he puts up there. But it seems like every now and then there's some historical artifact that uh, reveals itself, like the recent sale of Apple's founding contract for about one point three five million dollars. And I would have loved to have heard Dr. Steve's take on that, but I don't think that got a mention on his site. But the stuff he does talk about, it's great. You should check it out. And the other thing I want to mention is the Retro Computing Roundtable that David Grealish founded last year and which now regularly features uh, him, Carrington Vanson, formerly 1 Megahertz, as a formerly because how often do those episodes come out? And Earl Levins of RetroBits, which also hasn't been out lately. I would love to see all three of them come to Kansas Fest 2012, and they've been talking about it. I know we didn't have Carrington in the group photo at 2011 because he was too busy recording an episode of RCR. I'd like to have all three of them recording an episode on site. So that's my hope for 2012. Uh, In the meantime, I am so 
pleased and proud to be a member of this community, and I really appreciate all of you dedicating your Boxing Day to recording this episode of Open Apple. It's been great talking with you. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Yep. Thanks for uh, doing it again this year. It was, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been too long. Too long and uh, too yeah. loud. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll never let that down. I think this is this is always a good uh, uh, a good experience doing this uh, year end roundup and and look ahead. I enjoy it every year. As do I. Until next time. Apple, Apple to forever. forever. This has been the Open Apple Podcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.open-apple.net.